So there are four rules that we give to people to decide if what they're experiencing is irritation or pain. Because remember, the pain is the emotional response to irritation that is amplified by uncertainty. So we want to create as much certainty as possible. Welcome to the Spartan Up podcast with Joe DeSena, founder and CEO of Spartan Race. We are talking about overcoming obstacles. The same way we teach people to get over obstacles on the course, we will teach you here on the Spartan Up podcast to get over obstacles in your mind. We know pain is inevitable, but when is it a warning sign? And when is it something we just need to push through? Dr. Sean Pastuch, founder of Active Life RX, shares his rules for pain. This episode of Spartan Up is brought to you by Headspace. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Spartan for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. We are here for Spartan Up Podcast. Joe DeSena, founder and CEO. I am with Dr. Sean Pastuch. And we're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about pain and suffering. No pain, no gain. But um, listen, uh, pain could also stop you in your tracks. And, uh, and then, you know, the race, whatever that race may be, is over. Or, or I guess you got a bunch of pain for the rest of your life. And I know lots of folks, including in-laws and so forth, that are walking around in pain. Uh, or you could, you could push through. And I guess let's get, into, um, let's get into avoiding pain rather than dealing with, with the issue after it happens. What do, you, what do you suggest people do to avoid the pain? I suggest that they don't. You know, I, I mean, I think that um, we can get to exactly what pain is here momentarily. And I think that would be helpful for people. But I think that the, the biggest mistake that people make, not only in their physical life, but in their business life, in their relationship life, in all aspects of life, is they feel pain and they avoid it. Because they're like, this pain is going to be the thing that kills me. And that's a normal response to it. And if you want to be a normal person, which, by the way, in the United States means probably overweight, maybe obese, definitely on some kind of medication, and chasing your wallet, then keep avoiding pain. Yeah, you know, I have, a, I have one of my best friends, if not my best friend, that um, he believes in no pain, no pain. He, he, but, but he's not obese. He's not unhealthy. He's... He's very moderate and um, we battle over this all the time because, um, but then I, you know, I'm an open-minded guy. And so, uh, you know, I definitely lean your way. I mean, I put people through 500 million burpees and cold water and barbed wire and, and because it, you don't grow unless you're suffering a bit, you're doing hard shit, right? Well, I think now, now is a perfect time to start defining what pain is. And I think that this will be really valuable for anyone who's listening to this to actually start making some logical decisions around a pretty emotional topic. And there are four phrases I think people need to understand. The first or four terms. The first term is insult. Insult is effectively the idea that right now, wherever you are, you are being bombarded by a bunch of stimulus that you're not noticing and it's not affecting you. That's insult. Irritation is the moment that that insult becomes conscious where you're like, oh, I'm going to move my chair a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. Well, if, if you were to be like, Hey, Sean, I noticed you scooched to your left ass cheek. Are you okay? I'd be like, yeah, that's a strange question to ask. That's irritation. 
pain is when that irritation becomes a, a thing that you don't like, a negative emotional response to the irritation that you just had. Emotional being the key word. And then there's injury, which is the decision that I can no longer do whatever the activity is. So people all the time are like, oh, I got an injured knee. Like, That's interesting because you walked here on it. So what is your knee injured and being able to do? Well, I can't squat. Okay, well, then you have a, a squatting problem, not an injured knee. You follow the difference? Yeah. Um, and, and we believe that irritation is necessary to drive adaptation. And so all that's left is the line between you making an emotional decision around what this irritation is feeling like. And, and I know that that's, that's a big reason why I believe you and your death race and, and, and the most extreme things that you do, you take out the certainty of when this is over. Because then it starts to get into their mind of like, well, uncertainty leads to emotional spikes and, and people will quit because they don't know what's still in front of them. And, and that amplifies the pain. Yeah, I guess with us, we, we like to, we insult, we irritate, we inflict pain, right? We do it all at Spartan and, and from, from, from very, especially the death race, you're right. But, but here's a question for you. I competed in a bunch of races over the years. And what I found the hard way was that when I had a little insult and it caused me to, you know, respond to that insult in a certain way. And maybe I walked slightly off. It ultimately affected me negatively. And so I had to be really uh, in tune with my body and make sure that, you know, the silly example would be if there's a pebble in your shoe or you got a blister, right? And it's not that bad, but 60 miles later, it's affecting your hips. What you're speaking to are physical events that are more mentally challenging than even physically challenging. You know, I've never run a hundred mile race. My guess from running 20 miles is that after a while, it's all the same. The, the decisions are here. You know, they're, they're not down below. I have, I have a friend who was a Navy SEAL, trains the, the military, and he's like, man, feet don't make decisions. You know, it's the, and it's the idea that like you get to decide if you're going to keep moving forward. And that's where I think what you're talking about becomes, is this irritation or is this pain? And it comes down to certainty. It's one thing to have a blister and be like, I've had a blister before. It's another thing to have a nail fall off and say, I've had my nails fall off and I've run before. But what if you started getting knife-like pain in the middle of your foot? Is, is that something that you stop for? Well, your experience having knife-like pain in the middle of your foot is probably going to drive your decision-making. I've been thinking about this topic that you've been studying for uh, decades. And um, I've come to the conclusion, but please um, fight me on this if I don't have it right. You know, when is it okay to quit? Because certainly if we take the Spartan Navy SEAL Marine mentality, you don't quit under any circumstances. Your feet don't make decisions. But I've come to the conclusion that it's okay to quit in the instance where it doesn't line up with your values. So in other words, if you, if you were going to be the greatest dancer to ever live and you've been practicing with your wife and you're going to, sorry, my phone is ringing. Um, 
you're going to be the greatest dancer that ever lived. You've been practicing with your wife. You got this big dance party coming up. Um, and you went out with the boys to go climb a giant mountain and you're tweaking your ankle, but you have the mindset that we're talking about here not to quit, but it's going to affect that dance part, that thing that you've been like, the thing that you value more than climbing this mountain. Well, then you should probably turn around. Well, what you're talking about there is um, when your attention is out of alignment with your intention. I love it. And, and what, what I mean by that is if, if I sign up for a Spartan race and the next weekend I know I have something going on that is really important that I've been working towards for a long time that I want to do well. And I start doing the Spartan race and I'm noticing that my body is starting to break down. I'm not prepared the way I want it to be. My feet are starting to hurt in a way that is going to make it really hard to use them a week from now. My hands are getting beat up and I'm going to use them tomorrow at work. The, the responsible thing to do is to look at what are my long-term intentions and does this align with my purpose? And I think it's okay to say, no, it doesn't. I like to say tough people make tough decisions. They don't just tough through things. Doc, let me, let me interrupt because I've had, you know, million, literally millions of people through the program around the world, 45 countries, and I've had conversations, probably 10,000 of them, no joke, um, in the moment when the bullets are flying and the knife pain is in the foot, you can't make, typically, you can't make clear decisions. Well, I think if there's real bullets flying, yeah, then we're talking about a totally different situation. The, the dancing going to my life. Extreme example, extreme example. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but I think it's important to, to, to acknowledge it. If I'm in a war zone or being shot at, it doesn't matter what my plans were next week. My values align with surviving long enough to get to it. And we'll figure that out when we get there. But I actually believe that oftentimes people make the weak mental decision to tough through things. And they, they disguise it as mental toughness when the reality is they succumbed, they succumbed to peer pressure. They succumbed to approval of others, to approval of themselves. I signed up for this thing and I didn't finish. I could never live with myself. So I toughed it out. Was that smart? Was that, was that what you should have done? And one of my mentors who I've worked with in the past, Jesse Itzler, talks about the first time he tried to climb Mount Washington and that he wasn't prepared. Uh, he went up and he didn't make it to the top. And at a certain point, he's like, I'm a dad. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I got to survive. Turned around and went back down. And then a week later, he went and did it again. But that's the attention intention line that I love that you just put out there. Right. I, and, and I love Ed Visters. I don't know if you follow Ed Visters, famous American mountain climber. He said getting to the top is optional. Getting down is mandatory. Right. Right. And, and um, I've climbed a lot of mountains. I've done all these things. And I th- as I listen to you, I think you're right, which is the harder decision is to quit and deal with that embarrassment. But the bulk of the people. Again, we're talking about millions of people of Spartans, you know, Mm-hmm. All of the people tap out at the first sign of pain. I had, I, I put on a crazy kids camp. Marion, who's doing this podcast for us in the background, you should put a clip of the kids camp right in here in this podcast. We don't quit anything. We're going to hold hands. We're going to get through this together. I just want to quit this one thing. Of course you do. <laughs> this summer during COVID, I was stuck on the farm and I, I invited 20 kids over 
to the house and I tortured them for 14 days. And kids are interesting based on what you're talking about because um, they're going to be the first to squeal. They probably got a little bit less of an ego in there, right? Like, like they're not going to hold back like an adult might. And um, I had a little seven-year-old and he was like, I'm in pain. And I said, well, are you pissing blood? (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. Drink some water, keep going, you're fine. And, and, um, And we got through it, but we got through it. We got those kids through it because they had no choice. The adults typically quit. And then they call me or email me a week later and say, I should have finished. I could have done it. I think that the the big thing about the kid example that you gave is that the intention was for them to come out of something that was objectively painful and be a better person on the other side and have that experience for the rest of their lives to look back at. And if it didn't hurt, if it wasn't uncomfortable, it wouldn't have been worth it to do it. For the adults, they're making decisions about They're making decisions with a kid's brain. We'll be right back to the interview, but first I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Headspace. Meditation sounds great, right? So many of the guests we interview on the podcast have talked about the benefits. Mark Devine, Andrew Huberman, behavioral psychologist Rebecca Heiss, Ariana Huffington, but it's not easy. Today's sponsor, Headspace, is changing that. You probably tried meditation before and it didn't work, right? Or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. If mental health is part of your plan, and it should be, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Imagine your own little pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep better, focus better, and perform at a higher level. It exists, and if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Meditation can help with burnout, with stress, even mood. Headspace has data to back it up. Check out the numbers. Four weeks of Headspace can increase focus by 14%. Only three weeks of use has been shown to cut aggression to negative feedback by a whopping 57%. That's huge. And with Headspace, you can be 28% less sad in just 10 days. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com spartan. That's headspace.com spartan. And you'll get a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal they offer right now. So just do it. Head to headspace.com slash Spartan and check it out. Okay, back to the interview. I think that the, the big thing about the kid example that you gave is that the intention was for them to come out of something that was objectively painful and be a better person on the other side. And have that experience for the rest of their lives to look back at. And if it didn't hurt, if it wasn't uncomfortable, it wouldn't have been worth it to do it. For the adults, they're making decisions about, they're making decisions with a kid's brain, but with the authority of an adult. You know, they, they don't have someone standing there to tell them, you must get through this. It's not a choice. And so we give rules to people to make decisions about, should you continue going or not? And some of it's subjective, some of it's fairly objective. But the big thing is, why did you sign up for the race? Let's start there. Why did you sign up for the Spartan race? Did you want to prove to yourself that you could do something difficult? 
you might want to deal with losing some toenails, spraining an ankle, having some blisters, skinning your hands, so that when it's over, you can say, I twisted my ankle, I got blisters, I skinned my hands, and I still did it. That might be a good reason to do it, like a cold shower in the morning. I don't take cold showers because I like cold showers. I take cold showers because I want to feel stress momentarily and have control over the way I respond to it. So there are four rules that we give to people to decide if what they're experiencing is irritation or pain. Because remember, the pain is the emotional response to irritation that is amplified by uncertainty. So we want to create as much certainty as possible. The first thing is, is the pain that you're experiencing, not the panic, is it a 5 out of 10 or less? or a five out of 10 or more. If it's a five out of 10 or less, my thought, our thought at Active Life, keep going. You know, and, and, and when you have a life to live, five out of 10 or less, keep going. It's just irritation. and Irritation is necessary to drive adaptation. If as you go, is it getting better or staying the same? Because for a lot of people, it's like, it hurts. Is it getting worse every time you take a step? No, it's exactly the same as the first step. Well, then keep going. You're probably not doing any significant damage. It's just uncomfortable. The third rule is 24 to 48 hours later, which now in the race, they can't know the answer to, but they had the first two. Do you have an increase in pinpoint pain location? Like my shoulder hurts here more. And that's where it hurt during the race. Yes? Okay, well then let's scale back what you're doing for the next week or two. No, you're fine. It was uncomfortable while you did it. And the last rule is if you stop doing what you're doing in the moment, like if you're running up and down a mountain and you just stop and stand there for a second, does the pain go away? If the answer is yes, then that's fine. You're not creating permanent damage. You're feeling momentary damage, which when you're done – Yeah, there might be some inflammation to deal with, but you're not going to die from it. And when we put those four rules together, it gives people a construct to start making decisions around where their brain and their fear is often taken out of it. I love it. I love it. Marion, behind the scenes for everybody listening or watching is asking, but you got to ask them, how do they avoid the pain to begin with? Injury, I said. How do you avoid injury? Yeah, well, well, so so, so I'll answer both because they're different questions. The way you avoid pain to begin with is you expect it because if pain is amplified by uncertainty, then surprise pain is going to be much more painful than expected pain. What do I mean by that? How many times have you run a hundred mile race now? Probably 10, 15, 20, more than I care to even know about. You know, with some semblance, what it's going to feel like at its worst. And you are prepared for some degree of worse than that. The person who's never run that race, who feels that pain, might not be ready to complete it. If their if their reason for signing up isn't strong enough, they're going to have more pain because of the emotional attachment to the uncertainty of how does this end? Do I lose a leg? You're set. You're saying set expectations. Yeah, set set strong expectations for disaster. Yeah. And, and, and expect the words. I tell people all the time on my team, you should tell all the customers before they show up to the race this weekend that it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. It's going to be cold water. That your car might get stuck in the mud. And then when they get there, it's like, oh, this, ain't, this isn't so bad because their expectations were set 
to an uh, unrealistic level. Yeah, and I've heard you talk about this with entrepreneurism, Joe, where yeah. you said, look, you have to have the stomach for it. Right. You know, and it's the same. It's the same thing. Uh, anybody who reaches any level of excellence physically or mentally, in my opinion, uh, has been punched in the face many times by their circumstances and, and learned how to take those punches better. And you're not going to know how to take them without getting hit. Agreed. Now, how to avoid injury. I think that that's frankly a, a useless endeavor. I don't think there's any reason to try to avoid injury. I think that what we try to avoid, we'll find. I think we're better off trying to build resiliency and durability to break down and to seek how do I become more durable? How do I become more resilient? And through doing that, the likelihood is that you will avoid injury. I agree. I, you know, my kids wrestle and um, wrestlers get injured. And yep. I, was, I was just thinking this weekend, you know, they should probably wear knee pads all the time and elbow pads all the time. Uh, because typically you only see wrestlers wear them when they, when they hurt one of those joints. And I said, why don't they just wear them all the time? And then I thought to myself, gee, you don't want to make the athlete delicate, right? You want to make the athlete resilient. Mm-hmm. Because if you start protecting the athlete in, in bubble wrap, they're not going to be ready for, for the actual event. Well, and Joe, to speak from experience, I was not a wrestler who was as good as your kids are. But I did, <laughs> I did wrestle. And my first ever varsity match, I was a freshman in high school. The guy who weighed 112 pounds got hurt. And I weighed 103. And I was going to wrestle up. And on varsity. But first, I had to wrestle 103 on JV. So I had two, two matches in the same day. And I got shellacked in the JV match. Because I went out and instead of going out and saying, how do I win this match and get to the next one? I went out and said, how do I avoid getting hurt, getting tired, getting beat in this match. So I have energy for the match later today with 112 pound senior when I'm a freshman and I was afraid. And I got my ass kicked in the JV match at 103 pounds. And then later in the day, I was, I was humiliated. I was annoyed. I went out at 112 and I told my coach, I'm just going to kill this kid. And with very little technique, you know, I just cement mixed him and, held him down until like until he was pinned and a good wrestler would have rolled through whatever like we're not talking about wrestling technique but the difference was how do i not lose got my ass kicked i'm gonna kill this kid one so i think that the mental the mental approach is is everything well how do you build that intentional auditing of the experience you just had all the time and then changing your behavior to match the experience that you want so you know the youth is waste on the young, you know, and I always thought that that was a stupid expression until I got into my later thirties. I'm like, man, if I just knew, I, if I only knew what I knew now, it's, I don't make the same mistake twice very often anymore. And that's because instead of seeking to be right all the time and, and trying to present as if I know, and I'm capable and I am already there. I like to come to the table with a, somebody helped me do this better. And that allows me to never do things the same way. I like it. I like it. Um, 
therapies on pain? I mean, do you subscribe to like, I used to sit in a cold ice tub um, when I was running a hundred miles, every 25 miles, I'd get 10 minutes in the ice tub. Do you subscribe to that? Or, or, or really you're just focused on deal with it, suck it up and, and uh, understand what it is. Truth be told in the race like that, like in that kind of um, peri, peri competition recovery, I don't have strong opinions. You know, it's, it's, I think that at least 50% of what you experience there is going to be between the ears. And if you feel like I need an ice bath every 25 miles to run a hundred miles at my best pace, then you should have an ice bath every 25 miles to run your hundred mile race at the best pace possible. That's fine. And if we cut the one out at 25 miles and just do 50 and 75 and hundred. And then next time we cut out the 50, the next time we cut up the 75 and we see that your time improves. Great. Um, what I believe is important is that you need to be measuring your recovery all the time. Now, the reason that we train one of the people on our staff, uh, Larry, who's our lead educator talks about the idea that we train for the opportunity to recover. We don't train to train. We train so that we can recover. And I think that as long as you have a regular intentional recovery practice, you are better than 90% of the people out there. Then it's, if you want to be in the top five or 1%, you're hiring a coach who understands your specific needs and they're helping you recover. Nutritionally, sleep, movement, all those things are medicine and having someone guide you through it is key. My kids, my kids definitely need somebody like that because they have me and I'm the worst. I just drive them into the ground. I love my buddies at the Cornell uh, wrestling coach. He said he had one of the best wrestlers in the world, Kyle Dake, said, hey, coach, my knee hurts during a match. It was an important match. He goes, well, you better win because it'll hurt a lot more if you lose. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably right. And, and in that moment, the intention is to win the match. What is coach going to do in that moment? Right. You know, just stop paying attention to the thing that's not your intention. How do, how do, um, how do people learn about you? Like, how, how do they find you? I mean, I'm active on Instagram at Dr. Sean Pestuge, and I'm working on becoming better on LinkedIn. Uh, I've been on 35, 40 podcasts, so they can find me there. But hopefully it's just having more conversations with people like you and, and putting myself in front of them. And the kind of people that are coming to you is, is somebody that wants to go outside and maybe they're a little fearful or like who, who's coming to you? To me, it's mostly people who want to turn a passion that they have for fitness into a career where, where they're tired of being put at the kid's table. And the idea that like, well, doctors will have important conversations. Coaches will refer to doctors when something important happens. For, for me, it's important to bridge the gap between doctors and coaches and to humanize the professional education for a doctor and to professionalize the professional education for a coach so that they can be talking about the same things collaboratively. And we can more clearly define the scope. To our company, we have doctors, coaches, and people who want to get out of pain to be able to run Spartan races or stay out of pain to be able to run Spartan races. They're coming to work with our coaches one-on-one. -on -one. I love it. And you got a book? Did I, did I hear that right before or no? I wrote a book. I haven't released it. It's called I Can Do Anything. Um, and it's, it's based on the idea that my daughter, when she was really young, liked to say, like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And that's like, you can say, fuck. 
whatever you want, except can't in our house. So uh, I taught her how to overcome I can't with I can do anything. I just ask her, what can you do? She says, I can do anything. Uh, I haven't released the book yet. And the reason for that is probably just because I haven't, I'm too lazy to figure out how to release a book and get people buying it. Yeah. You know, yesterday, my, my second son, uh, he's been trying to nail a backflip on the, on the wrestling mat. And um, he just keeps coming short. And I said, come on, try it before we leave. And he said, I can't. And I said, you mean you can't yet? Right. So I don't know if, that, if that's language you would use or not. But well, uh, I would say, you mean you haven't figured out how yet? That would be the difference for me just so that like, I want them to, to understand what that word really means. Like that word means I can't fly. Yeah. You can't fly. And it doesn't matter how much you practice, you're not going to be able to fly. Uh, But I have, I mean, my kids are younger than yours and they're five, three and almost two. And what we do is basically if they say I can't do something or I need help, they're always, I don't want them to be so independent that they push help away. But what we'll do is I'll say, okay, I need you to practice for one minute and try yourself. And if after one minute you haven't done it, then I'll come and help you because they're five, three and almost two. They don't want to wait a minute. So they figure it out in that one minute. And that's, that's how we try to do it. I love it. I love it. What three things let's end it with three things you would recommend people do on a daily basis of practice to, um, I can't say live pain free, but, but to enjoy uh, pain that is inevitable in life. Three things. Uh, one thing is prioritize sleep over everything. And what I mean by that is if you're planning on doing a two hour workout that starts at 6 a.m. and you're normally in bed at 10 a.m. sleeping, mm-hmm. but tonight you didn't get in bed till 11, your workout starts at seven. If you don't have two hours, do one. And the justification for it is you didn't earn the right to work out for two hours because you didn't sleep enough. That's on you. You know, just tough it out and work out through that. So number one is prioritize sleep. Number two would be to eat a healthy diet. Like actually seek out anti-inflammatory whole foods. People don't realize how much their pain is associated with stress, diet, and sleep. So minimizing stress, improving their diet and getting sleep are key. So the third thing goes to stress. And the way that we help people minimize stress is by adopting the mindset that it is never about you and it is always your fault. And what I mean by that is your boss got on you today at work. Your boss didn't get on you because your boss wanted to get on you. It's not about you. It's your fault that your boss got on you. What could you have done differently that would have created an environment where your boss didn't get on you? Maybe you need to be in a different job, in a different place. Maybe your boss is a prick. Maybe it's that you didn't get the work done on time. Maybe you didn't ask the questions of your boss when they gave you the assignment, and so you didn't do it properly. Now they're on you, and you're angry that they didn't give you the details. What could you have done? If you own that responsibility all the time, stress is going to be lower because you're constantly going to be willing and interested in hearing how you can do a better job. And when stress is low, when sleep is good, when nutrition is good, people are less hurt. I like that. You know, uh, Theo Epstein, the uh, baseball um, coach manager, he said to me um, to run a high performing organization, 
You got to give all the credit away and take all the blame. I love it. Yeah. And, and people, all the, I, I tell people those three things all the time. They're like, what about like the way that they train? I mean, your company trains people. Like it's, it's, it's useless if those other three things aren't happening. I like it. Well, you're awesome. Thanks for coming on. This episode of Spartan Up is brought to you by Headspace. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Spartan for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation.